With a redneck flair, oh yeah Two rednecks, but we're still fancy Putting on airs We might not know much about history We don't care We gon' get drunk and we talk about yachts We gon' get drunk and we gon' talk a lot Dress real fancy, sit in our chairs Sip on our tea, putting on airs Two rednecks, but we're still fancy Putting on airs We might not know much about history We don't care We gon' get drunk and we talk about yachts We gon' get drunk and we gon' talk a lot Dress real fancy, sit in our chairs Sip on our tea, putting on airs Okay, it's Welcome. Uh, we have a very special episode of Putting On Airs lined up for you today. We don't do a lot of guests, but when we do, we really bring the fire. And I got to tell you, we have, uh, how they say, outkicked our coverage. Uh, we've got someone here today that uh, is probably going to regret being here. They have uh, deemed to lower them, lower their standards enough to be on this show. We do not deserve them, but me and Trey are so happy to have uh, an actor, character actor extraordinaire, uh, mm-hmm. highly acclaimed. I mean, again, we don't deserve him, but Clifton Collins Jr. is here. What's going on, dog? Oh, man, I'm stoked to be here, brother. So stoked. I'm, again, huge fans of uh, the, all three of you, including Drew. Yeah. Well, nice. this this isn't how I wanted to start this out, actually. I know. But, but I know. <laughs> <laughs> talking about Drew, that's not what I meant. Uh, but Uh-oh. but I do want to go ahead and get this out of the way because on this show, you know, we talk about fancy things, but it's about two two rednecks talking about fancy things, putting on airs. And I would like to get your redneck qualifiers out of the gate pretty quick because you've got some good ones that I don't think a lot of people know that I know Trey doesn't know. Um, I'm going to say them both at the same time, and you can take them as they come and say whatever you want on them. Number one. The jackass pilot was filmed in your backyard, but redneck bonafide number one out of the gate. And number two, you directed the music video for Chicken Fried by Zach Brown. 
Those are two <laughs> Hall of Fame redneck bona fides that I was not expecting. Yes, sir. And I did uh, Jamie Johnson's High Cost of Living. No oh, shit. That's a good one. Yeah. And he's literally like, how do I get this out? And his skin is like, so funny, cow. And he's got a little chunk of meat on it. Then oh, he had to reload it, hit him again. Yeah, so we shot all of that. And then he, by the time he was done, he was like, hey, Cliff, he goes, hey, hey I got this bulletproof vest on. And I was like, oh, man, why is he talking to me? Out of everybody in this fucking house of mine in Hollywood. He saw He's the like, Mexican a- and he was like, shoot me. And so, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And we were, we're on the same page here. So he goes, uh, he had nudie mags. I want you to shoot me. I said, I said, PJ, I said, no, dude. I said, Matt, Madison's daughter was like six or something. And, and I was like, dude, if this stunt goes south, one, you're my friend. And two, the headline doesn't read acting stunt gone south. Guy gets right. killed. It's Mexican killed a white guy in Hollywood. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so I was like, no. So he went and um, shot himself in Griffith Park. I think the MTV <laughs> cut it out. <laughs> what, how, what was your, like, how did you? meet or get to know him in the first place like how'd they even end up doing it over there you guys were uh, friends we somehow had, we, had, we had mutual friends uh from my roommates and he was doing articles for the skateboard magazine i can't remember the name right. anymore so he was coming back and forth and you know we get stoned on the couch or whatever with, with preston lacy the big dude and a bunch yeah. of the other homies and just come up with wacky ideas uh, and, and some not so wacky like that time they wanted to crash the uh, traffic premiere when they saw me dressed all fancy, Preston Lacey's like, look, the Mexican dressed all fancy. Where are you going tonight? <laughs> I said, I got my traffic premiere. He goes, ooh, we're going to go. I'm like, no, this is Steven Soderbergh. This isn't, no, you're not coming to this. Right. We're coming, we're coming. And everybody was like, ooh, traffic. I said, motherfuckers, I tell you right now, I says, I'm going to be doing an interview. I see any one of you motherfuckers, I'm going to take flight on site. I swear to fucking God almighty, <laughs> I, I, will, I will just pummel you. I don't give a fuck who's here i was so here well because now you're speaking to my my lineage now i'm not doing a comedy you know i'm doing a soderbergh film that's got i've got to i've got to act differently right <laughs> i can't be like my normal crazy self <laughs> so what did by they, the way did they for everybody that, that doesn't did they show up <laughs> what say did that again Trey. that what you said or did they did they show up they, the they did they did respect it thankfully nice. but who knows if they were lurking in the darkness i have no clue yeah <laughs> I was going to say for everybody that doesn't know, that was a hell of a Preston Lacey uh, impression. That was very good. That took me back to my childhood. I do want to say this. I'm glad we got the bona fides out. But before we start getting out of control, uh, which we will, um, me and you, have, like I said, we've been talking on and off for a couple of years, whether it be on Instagram, through text messages. We FaceTime last night. We've become buddies. So, you know, I, you've caught me up to speed on a lot of stuff that you're doing. And so but I want our audience to know. Um, you're currently working on a movie um, right in the in the writing stages about your grandfather, uh, mm. Romino G. Gonzalez. And, man, you've sent me some stuff on him. And I and I love old Hollywood stuff. And I was not familiar. And I just wanted you to speak on that. What what it is that you're working on. Tell us about, you know, Gramps a little bit. Catch our audience up to speed because it's a very awesome story. Yeah, uh, my grandfather is uh, um, Ramiro. It's actually Ramiro with the R. Uh, Ramiro oh, Gonzalez, Gonzalez. I don't roll my no, R's very good. <laughs> I did, really noted. Uh, uh, so he was a, a vaudevillian actor. They, and, you know, there's this thing called erasure that got rid of a lot of all the musicals and the theatrical history of blacks, Asians, and Mexicans. So you got 
all, all the old Hollywood movies like Yankee Doodle Dandy, um, No Business Like Show Business, The Seven Little Foys, uh, about all the vaudevillian families. There's none about the carpas of, of San Antonio, Texas, and that, those are like the ragtops. And my grandfather, my family, both of my grandmother and my grandfather's side come from two of the famous four tent shows. Um, my great-grandmother was classically trained in Mexico, um, who escaped Mexico when Pancho Villa declared war because her cousin was General Huerta, uh, who became a dictator. That's General Huerta Holy right shit. there. <laughs> That's my cousin. <laughs> That's what my, 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 my great-granny would say. Uh, but he was a dictator. He became president for a little while, and she and my my great aunt Carmen and my great uh, uncle Miguel, uh, they were part of a group called the Hermanos Gonzalez, and they all danced for Pancho Villa's men. So when Pancho declared war, she was like, "Fuck this! He's gonna find out that I'm related to goddamn Huerta, and they're they're gonna kill me." So she she crossed the border. The the, the going bribe then was a nickel. And I remember asking my grandma when she was alive uh, around the COVID time, I said, Granny, I said, how was it? Talk to me about that. What was it? Was it like Harriet Tubman's like Underground Railroad? You have to go at night or like people giving whiskey to their babies to keep them quiet. She was like, no, mijo, it's just a big line. You give them a nickel and you get in. I'm like, you don't have to hide or nothing? Like, no, that's not dramatic. I can't put that in a movie. <laughs> uh, yeah, you might have to lie a little bit on that. I did just cut it out, but uh, so my grand, my great grandmother came from nine brothers and sisters that were entertainers, like many of the vaudevillian families, you know, the Donahue families, the Sedgwicks, um, uh, a lot of your classic entertainers that crossed over into film, the Marx Brothers, right, right. Eddie Cantor, um, uh, uh, Jolson, Eddie Arbuckle, oh, oh, Jolson, yeah, all of yeah. them. So you, so you guys know. In any case, my my grandpa came from a family of of also nine brothers and sisters. He wasn't the first, though. The first male in, uh, of his siblings was Jose. So he was kind of deemed like you're going to be the one that's going to lead the new family vaudeville act for the Carpas. And, and the Carpas was like roughly 1910 to 1940. And so uh, it ended up that my grandpa was the funny one. So he ended up doing like all the acts. My great-grandmother only spoke Spanish and Apache. She wanted to stick like – you know, tradition. They don't want to right. abide change. And my grandfather's mentors in the Gutpa circuits were always telling him, you got to start speaking English. You got to go to English, do your English so you can make that money because they got the real money, the white folks. Even though it's Jim Crow era, right. he couldn't perform in the white tents or the white theaters, the white theater strip in San Antonio. Um, and then being a vaudevillian, this is for all vaudevillians. You had um, Pearl Harbor, so you had the gas crisis. Um, uh, uh, you couldn't buy rubber tires. You couldn't buy rubber things. Um, you would get coupons for gas. So things like that. So, you know, grandpa just hustled. He got married when he was 17. My grandma was 15 and they hit the road. They was on tour by themselves at 17 and 15 and went to New York to perform, got robbed a bunch of times. Like a lot of Vaudevillians did. Right. Not Cause they were living out of their trunk, out of their trunk. They had a money bag that they, they would get stolen. Um, so, and that, uh, go ahead. Corey, Corey sent me a clipper. I, I heard you on Marin a while back. Uh, and oh, that, so I knew about your, uh, yeah, your grandpa and the background and all that, which is really cool. But Corey sent me a clip that I guess you sent to him earlier of, uh, Groucho Marx's show. You bet your life. Your grandpa was on there and, uh, and which he didn't want to go to. Well, I was going to ask, you know, I, people on the internet just say whatever. Right. So like, 
in the comments on, on that YouTube video, there's like one of the top comments is somebody saying, you know what happened was this guy came on the show and he was so funny and John Wayne saw him. And then he, that's how he got into like movies as being on this show. I was wondering, A, is that true? And B, you mentioned the Marx Brothers were vaudevillians. Was that like a connection between, did he know your grandpa because of the vaudeville circuit before that whole thing happened or what happened? Not at all. They were separate and and, and Marx was way, way younger. And uh, as the brothers, they they really sucked as comedians when they were younger. The the stage, their mother, their stage mom had to keep changing their name because they would put up a show and they would get canceled like in a week or two. Really? Yeah. The, the, four, the Four Nightingales. Ah, uh, try check them out. And they sucked. Ah, uh, closed. I, she changed the name. And Trey, we so... should change our names. I've never even thought <laughs> yeah. about doing that. <laughs> that would work. I don't yeah. know if that would help. So, so what happened was Groucho's uncle was kind of a, a, a kind of a known author, screenplay author, and he wrote a funny skit for them. And this reporter that wasn't going to make the show. Um, suddenly had to make the show. His assistant couldn't go and wrote one review, and that one review got them exposed, and that set the ball rolling. Um, Groucho now, um, the, there is this guy named uh, Walter O'Keefe that had a, a show on the radio called Double or Nothing that ran for about 10 years, and he was emceeing a cerebral palsy event at WOAI radio station in San Antonio, Texas in 1952. And um, they were running out of acts because back then the telephones were like 16, 18, 20 hours. Yeah. So artists are not showing up or they're getting drunk or whatever, and they're running out of acts. And um, the guys there, the band loved my grandpa so much. He said, hey, you got to let Pedro do his thing. Let Pedro do his thing. So he was like, all right. So he saw him do his thing. He had him on his radio show. The radio show got all this family that I have. That's how I opened his movie. And then he called Groucho because Groucho's ratings were diving. He was going to go off the air. So Groucho called Walter Keys. Well, I need some help, man. Get me somebody. They got my grandpa. My grandpa gets a call. like, hey, we'd love to have you uh, on the You Bet Your Life show. Groucho Marks. Oh, great. You want my skillet routine and my frying pans or uh, my dancing and my acting? No, none of that. He's, that's what I do. What do you you want? Like, you're calling a mechanic. You don't want me to work on a car? It's like, what do you want me to do? And they're like, uh, you're just going to answer a few questions. My grandpa's like, oh, fuck, man. I, I didn't even go to school. I can't even read. You know, I can't answer questions. Like, people love what I do. It's like, no, nah, I'm not going to go and look like it. I don't have the money to go. And they were like, oh, well, we're sending you $300 for a first-class plane ticket. And then grandpa was like, so he told my grandma. My grandma's like, that's a lot of fucking money. And they're like, yeah, but what am I going to do? I'm going to look like an idiot. And the guys at WRI were like, go, Pedro, go. I'm like, they don't want me to do – They got my. I'm handcuffed. I can't do my thing. So my grandma's like, yo, that's still fucking at least 240, 260 in our pocket. Like, how so? Boom, cut two, he's on the bus. Yeah, right. Cashed it, <laughs> yeah, yeah. cashed it in. She got yeah. 240 in her pocket. Grandpa's taking the bus. He leaves early. He shows up. And then uh, uh, the producers, um, Eddie Mills, um, they all see my grandpa. I'm like, oh, snap, this is the guy? He's got a big baggy suit. If you saw it, he's got a yeah, big baggy yeah. suit because. It wasn't his. He didn't have a suit, so they gave him some didn't fit. <laughs> so they tried to replace him. They couldn't. And then um, George Fenneman was like, just remember, there's going to be two mics, one for her. She's taller. One for you. Don't you touch them. And I remember my grandpa going like, he just didn't even know that I knew what the fuck was going on, telling me not to touch the mics. Right. He's like, and don't try to one-up Groucho. He's like, excuse me, Mr. Fenneman, but how can I one-up Groucho when I, I barely speak any English? Right. Uh-huh. <laughs> you know? And he was like, oh, fuck, we're in trouble. Yeah. And um, 
and he ended up singing, dancing, doing his routine. And I just sent you a, a radio clip, which is not on the internet, right? Um, which shows you because the way it's cut in the TV version, because they air. Now I'll, I'll send you guys. I found right before I came out to Montreal to do this show. I found the actual postcard that Groucho sent him, signed by him, saying when the radio was going to air and when the television was going to air. So they cut out the part where he actually starts to sing, sing. Right. So when you see the the video, you don't get the whole. It sounds like he kind of fucked up or stopped or whatever. But when you hear the radio version, like oh snap, like he calls out the orchestra, the pit orchestra, and everybody. So knowing no. now, like having watched that, I loved it, and I was messaging you back, and I and I'm gonna put uh, if you don't mind in post, I'm gonna put that radio clip in here if that's okay Do it. for everybody. I'll give you uh, a good night. Because I want everybody to see it, and I'll put the YouTube link in here for everybody because it's great, and his timing is so good. But now that I'm hearing this and going like, oh, he went on there, and like all that was just kind of off the dome because they handcuffed him. Like, that's infinitely more impressive. Like, that's crazy. <laughs> no singing, no dancing, no joking. What did yeah. you do? I sang, I danced, and I joked. <laughs> yeah. I was about to say, you're telling a vaudeville guy, don't do any of the stuff that is why we would have you here. Like, that's crazy. And then also the questions that they chose – were all city locations. Right. So Grandpa knew a lot of the cities and states from traveling the circuit. So right. he knew that because he was told, hey, we're going to Lubbock. We're going to Sweetwater. We're going to Clearville. We're going to such and such. And he knew how to get around. So Did he, like, devise his own vaudeville routine? Because you know, it's very common in vaudeville that there were just, like, acts that different, you know, groups or, or – entertainers would do they'd be like oh are you doing that the suitcase thing because i do the suitcase thing or like that type of thing it was very different than like modern day stand-up was he doing established routines or was he like making up his own he was making up his own but as you know um, a lot of the vaudevillians stole from one another all the right. time like yeah, it, was, right. it was more common i think it was less um you know they didn't get as heated as they do today sure. yeah it was borrowing um, not stealing i'd say there was like oh yeah i'm doing the old mccluskey three you know yeah right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah i've done so much fucking research on it yeah so grandpa um i've got his set i got his frying pans at home so i could play 12th street 12th street rag beer barrel polka um the songs that he had learned um i remember playing this for chris stills who's steven stills son and slash and um david saw these musicians and they were like on a 78 record. So my grandpa's gotta be like in his early twenties. He's playing with an orchestra and he's just slaying like his fucking timing. His timing was sick. Um, this one really great act that I have a video of that's also not on air is uh, he wanted to come up with something new besides the frying pans. And so he took these uh, 1936 Ford hubcaps, flattened them out. He got his uh, pair of Dickies and he made four pockets on each leg so he's got four, and he tuned them, and and he had to bang the fuck out of them tuning them. Every he I remember tuned, every time he tuned hubcaps, he flattened them out, and they're tuned, and they're still in tune. That's redneck as shit, my friend. Oh, it is. Oh, Grandpa, yeah. Uh, Necessity is a mother of all invention, as Cheeks Marin used to tell uh -huh. me. Um, and so uh, my uncle just sent them to me. Strangely enough, I put I put them on. I felt like. I felt like Indiana Jones, like like when I got the pants, I was like, they still they still exist, and the hubcaps are in there, and they're sewn in, and ah, like I was like, they're really nice. I put them on, I started. He played the La Clavelito Chino Chino, and it's a real easy <laughs> song, La Clavelito Chino, because he's a he had a variety show, which was his one of his greatest joys aside from working with John Wayne, because that was his hero. That was like that was his hero. Um, 
so the uh, uh, the pants was just something new to keep it moving, and um and it's, I haven't quite learned that song yet, even though there's only eight hubcaps. And I didn't pull them out. I was dying to see them because it's got the original stitching still in there. Right. So so yeah, to answer your question, and then I got bottles. This the original bottles that he would hang from a pole and fill them with water and play. And I'll send you a photo. He's like nine. Please. Well, on that note, you were talking about him being on the circuit. Now, in my research uh, for Vaudeville, because I've done a little bit because just because I'm a you know I'm a comedy nerd and I I love that that period. I know that there was the Vaudeville circuit, and then black people had to go on what was known as the Chitlin circuit. Now, were Hispanic people also in the Chitlin circuit with black people, or was there a separate circuit for Hispanic people? Yeah, it was just the Carpa circuit, and okay. and there was a lot of uh, Latinos that still performed in Latino theater. And that was a slightly more elevated, and that's more of what my great-grandmother liked because uh, the carpas, you know, you didn't have to wear a suit or dress nice. You know, people had guns. You know, you, a lot of times <laughs> when they switched locations, they had to sew the gun, the bullet holes in the tent. <laughs> you know, it was a very so like common a wild thing. West. So it was yeah, the right. Wild West. Yeah, it's like, <laughs> yeah you see those Westerns West. <laughs> like a caravan of actors or whatever comes through and sets up and there's all these <laughs> drunks in the crowd. Yeah, with six shooters and shit. <laughs> and she has so many salmon while they're up there, you know. That's some good shit. Their, <laughs> yeah, do their little number and whatnot. It's that, wild that that was the game, true. you know. It was <laughs> the truth. Yeah, I've got the fact to prove it the receipt. <laughs> Man, yeah. that's, in, that's incredible. So, so getting back to the screenplay when i was doing nightmare alley with guillermo del toro in toronto uh -huh. he sat my ass down before we nice started name filming. drop by the way that was fantastically <laughs> organic did i drop something here yeah, yeah. Like, <laughs> oh there it is <laughs> the great um he sat me down one day and he was like clifferton he likes to call me clifferton for some reason i'm okay. calling you i go with on. it he, he yeah you can do it it's all you <laughs> he goes uh clifferton he goes me to cover on he goes you and your your grandparents and your great grandparents and your other great grandparents. You're like the you're like the pinche Latino Barrymore family, cabron. And I was like, no, no, I'm not worthy of that. And he slowly leaned forward. He's a big dude. He goes, yes, cabron. He goes, you are. And I said, okay, I'm the Barrymore family. But wouldn't that make me Drew Barrymore? Yeah. <laughs> the and he's like, I <laughs> he goes, you're right. As you can be wherever you want. I said, well, maybe I'll be Ethel Barrymore because she kicked off the vaudevillian circuit. Nice. So it, that's nice. kind of how it started. And then I found photos of my great-grandparents performing in um, Frias, Texas. They got some bum permit, you know, but I'm sure some racist rangers sold it. We got a, a great chunk of land for you. Go for it. It's all flooded, floodwaters, but they're still building the tents. They got smiles on their faces, you know, happy to do it. Don't give a fuck about the floodwaters. I'll send you some photos. Please. Yeah, that was some serious for love of the game stuff back then. Man. Yes. Like that, you know, like it was not not glamorous. And then later, some of those people were able to transition, you know, your grandpa included, transition to like actual traditional Hollywood. But a whole bunch of them, you know, never made that leap. And it's like, you know, as a comic, I'm out here on the road all the time. I'm flying. I'm going to Indianapolis tomorrow, but that's the thing. It's like, I'm not going there in a box car or nothing or like right. an old rickety bus. I don't have a trunk full of, you know, props and carry my whole family with me. And, you know, I got my five-year-old in a suitcase. He jumps out, does a little dance, whatever. Like, we don't have to, you know, it's, it ain't like that anymore. And it's, uh, I should be more grateful, I guess, for the different circumstances. Well, and think about it. The black people had it a little rougher, and it's something my grandparents would mention as well. It's like, we had it bad, but we didn't have as bad as those colored people. I said, really? Because also you had the sundown towns. Right, right. So yeah. you, 
you had to finish your show before that time. Mm -hmm. And the, the people that own the theaters, if they wanted to be assholes about it, they would keep your pass. So right. guess what? I, I got a star vaudevillian because if they couldn't sell out their their white seats for uh, what my what my my great grandparents and grandparents they call them oh that that act or ese cabrón that that asshole or that jerk as as un pinche mata perros his act is mata perros meaning an act so bad it will kill a dog yeah mata perros yeah yeah ese cabrón mata perros that guy kills dogs you know it's just the same <laughs> I love it <laughs> when, when you when you suck <laughs> yeah so uh. So a lot of these white acts, if they weren't sold out, a lot of times the white owner, because they had a crossover appeal to top the big, the black entertainers. Like think of a Richard Pryor back in the day. Yeah, yeah. You know, like like I think of like Burt Williams, for example. If you had a Burt Williams, like, hey, is Burt Williams free? Is he in town? Is he local? Is he near? Like, come on, I, I need him in here. So they bring him in because you had to sell all the other seats before you can get to Burt Williams. So that way you could sell them out. Right. Yeah, it was rough, man. And the chop suey circuit, that was hard. You had the, That's the Japanese. Asian Asian. Okay, yeah. yeah. Yep, chop suey circuit, and they called it that um, because chop suey was the first food that was deemed edible and delicious because they tried to demonize the Chinese after they they were done with them because, hey, oh, the transcontinental railroad's done, right. so won't you get the fuck out now? Right. And we couldn't get rid of them. Their food's not fit for a dog. It's not, well, maybe maybe some of their food's good. So they realized they were going to stay. They started like, we like chop suey. So now because they like chop suey, the first food, well, let's just add it to the circuit. They'll like the circuit. They like the food. Chop suey circuit. So it's not – it might seem racist, but when you understand the origins of it, right. you see it was a way to save themselves. And then the Japanese entertainers would shorten their names to stay out of the Japanese internment camps. And right. they would hop yep. on the Chinese and they would take them in. Artists, we're looking out for each other. Artists. Damn. That's period. wild. Yeah, it's a different time. So you had this in your, uh, you know, in your blood from day one, and you grew up out here too, right? You're a native Angelino. Yeah, uh, born in LA. At what point in your life did you know or think that you wanted to, you know, go into the family business, like real early, or when? No, well, I started tap dancing when I was seven. It was and playing uh, musical instruments, um, the frying pans, the clarinet, the saxophone, tap dance, and I still tap today. But uh, it was it was really important for all the kids to one have a, a creative education, like meaning musical, some kind of talent, and two academic. That was imperative because he couldn't read. Yeah. So uh, he called John uh, Mike Wayne, John Wayne's eldest son, who's passed away um, a while ago. My grades were really bad in the eighth grade, so he made a phone call to get me to Loyola High School. Once I got to the high school, I got fantastic grades because I was surrounded by people. I had a terrible home life with the exception of living. I ran away at 16. Um, my grandpa ran away at 17. My great-grandmother ran away at 16. Family so tradition. It, kinda, it, it totally is, except I wasn't married. I just, it was just a loveless house because I had a stepdad and stuff. Yeah. So, uh, but once I got to school, I was surrounded by people like, oh, I don't want to be a, the only dumb guy here. So I started getting good grades. And I thought, am I really going to go to a college prep school and then go to like a, maybe an Ivy League school so I could work? A, a, a fucking nine to five with two weeks paid vacation. Like I sell my life away for a price per hour and that's, that's making it. That's the rest of my life. I don't want to do that. And I said, oh, I'll be an actor. Uh, and also I was a class clown. So I would, uh, if I knew I had a joke that I thought was going to hit, I'd roll the dice. Cause if it hit, it was worth getting detention. Of course. Right. It sucked when, yeah. Oh, and when it didn't hit, I'd get yeah. what's called ju jug justice under God. 
Yeah. <laughs> and you and you knew when it didn't hit because it was just crickets and you're like jug. I'm like ah fuck. But when everybody's laughing, the jug is worth it. Of course, of course. <laughs> so it was natural. I think I think everybody's naturally an actor, whether you're lying to the cops, you're uh, an authoritative figure, or your <laughs> wife, or your dog, or your kid. We're all all acting. You know what I mean? But is it on paper? Is it scripted? Who knows? You know, maybe it is. Maybe you did write it. You didn't want to fuck up what you tell the cop or your wife or your whatever. But you got and into so I, it professionally pretty young, right? I mean, you like pretty early I on. Did. You were I, getting uh, roles and stuff. I, I was literally grandfathered in. Yeah. I, I auditioned for two months. I didn't know what the fuck I was doing. Um, my grandfather, uh, my grandfather had to drive me because I got Taft heart lead. And um, it was a say no to drugs commercial, as ironic as that might be. You were really um, acting, huh? <laughs> acting my ass off. <laughs> Actually, at that time, I hadn't touched anything. Oh, okay. like coffee was like the hardest thing I had done, um, which we started drinking at like seven and eight with my grandpa. Um, so, uh, uh, yeah, and then, and then from then forward, but, you know, cut to like a set like uh, Star Trek, you know, where you're yep. working 18-hour days. Every day was 18 hours with the nine hour turnaround. I was like, I was complaining about a nine to five, but at least right. uh, now it's like, it's different when you know you're going to entertain some people and you're going to lighten somebody's life just for a couple of hours, or you're going to make them think about something that matters or just alleviate a little pain for the day. That, it matters, you know? So Star Trek, I was going to bring up Star Trek at some point anyway, but since you've broached the subject, let's deviate over there for a second, if you don't mind. You, the 18-hour yeah. days, were you were yours longer than other people's? Because you were a Romulan, right? You had makeup and stuff, right? They had to put you in, like, Romulan gear. But despite that, everybody was working those hours. But And then also, just the experience of now being in the Star Trek universe, you ever... You got to deal with Trekkies ever and what's that like, you know, because I, I hear conflicting reports on what it's like dealing with those people, you know, they're passionate. Not, not too bad. I did have this and I have this photo that I saved because it just meant too much to me. I went to Vegas to do a signing for Star Trek and this dude showed up looking like Spock's cousin. Mm -hmm. um, he had the full on gear and the ears and he was in the everybody's just regular Trekkies. This guy showed up full blown dressed. Yeah. He goes, hello, thank you for joining our world. I right. brought you a photo. You uh, know, so he brought me his own photo sign, and, and he found some octagonal <laughs> like hallway. That looked like a, that's why I kept it. I still got yeah. it. I'm going to send you guys a photo. I have that's it on so the phone. Funny. I love that. He had, his, he had his ears, but he, there was a slight arrogance. Like He was welcoming to the world, but it was almost like, you know, like, like oh, you're so lucky to be a part of our world and blah, 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 yeah. blah. And I that. love that. And I, I obliged them and I kind of kept my mouth shut a little bit and didn't give away too much because the security came like, hey, we got to keep it moving. Because he really wanted to like a Leonard Nimoy philosophize with me, like using that speak. Yeah. And then finally, I, I was like, he started, he started to walk away. He like just tried to come back and fight the security, come back and talk to me because I was spewing real dialogue. I'm sorry. Yeah. Right. So you're fluent like, we on. No, Romulan's different. Oh, that's Romulan's right. That's a new right. lingo. Uh, JJ, the JJ Abrams brought in a linguist, and they they created the Romulan language. That shit bugs me on, out, man. That's so crazy. It's so crazy. I know, right? Like George like R. R. Martin and that, and like that's just a whole different level of like 
talent, yeah. dedication to the art. Like it's it's well, nuts. So what was like that Tolkien, experience like? Tolkien with all the Middle yeah. Earth stuff and all the languages in there. The sheer amount of time he put into just like he devised each of those languages. Yeah, right. And Elvish and all that stuff and. And, and uh, those Klingons wow. are racist too. Like they, they, they fight. <laughs> they're so fucking racist. Yeah, <laughs> that's funny. <laughs> no, they're racist as fuck. Like they yeah. have, they speak their own language. The Klingon. There's three dictionaries. Uh, uh, they they speak it fluently. They they're committed to the role. There's no yelling cut at these motherfuckers because they will laser you. Whatever the fuck they need to do. They fight with the Romulans. They fight against um, the, yeah, whatever their fucking space races are. But they, right. they literally yeah. it's weird to watch because it's legitimate racism. It's legitimate so it's 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 proof again that racism's taught, right? Right. Yeah. Uh so let's just jump around a little bit. I know that we go yeah. back to when you were getting started. One of your first like big roles was one eight seven, right? Yes, Which co starred Samuel L. Jackson, correct? I told you before we started that. Star star. Yeah, right. Yes. I, I co starred. Uh, you co starred, <laughs> excuse me. I told you before we started, my dad owned the video store in my hometown growing up, and I remember us having that one in there and everything. I can, like, vividly see the the box art in my head. But that was – but Samuel L. Jackson, obviously, I mean, he's an icon. And I think I remember hearing you say when you were on Marin talking about that experience, he became, like – he was sort of like a, a mentor of sorts for you, right? Like, from that 100. point on. No, not like, I speak to him probably two, three times yeah. a week. Yeah, he's a he's a definitely a huge father figure, That's awesome. big brother. He's a he's helped me in a lot of different ways, um, and he's a very smart mentor as, as well. And and he's got a photographic memory. He'll read a script three times. He knows everybody's lines. Yeah. And he taught me That's one of my crazy. greatest lessons. You know, you hear these actors talk about, I want to be spontaneous. I want to be this. I want to be that. And and th that was taught quite some time ago. I've learned through Samuel. Albeit it takes a lot more work. We had five days of rehearsal on one eight seven, and we we rehearsed uh, in sequence from beginning to end, and we shot in sequence, which is very rare. No so shit. You grow as the characters. Right. Oh yeah, you grow as the characters. You grow as friends. You grow as the characters in the movie, the relationships. So it's a real beautiful way to experience, like a play almost. And um, Samuel paces himself for four days, just regular reading the sides, rehearsing line line da da da. On the fifth day, he had. The monologues in the movie were even bigger in the screenplay, and I remember having the 357, and uh, I just remember Sam sitting there like this, like reading his sides, and Kevin Reynolds like, hey, Cliff, you guys ready to go? And I'm like – and then Samuel Samuel looks up at Kevin, and I, I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, I, and then uh, – and earlier I tried to show him that the 357 was open. I said, hey, Sam, it's open, and he wouldn't look at me, and I'm like, well, maybe he didn't hear me. I said, well, it's um, – I waited to be just polite. And I was like, uh, well, hey, what's, what's open? I spun it, went click, I closed it. And I was like, okay. And then Kevin asked that. And then, and then, and then Samuel goes, yeah, man. And he takes his whole side and drops him on the floor. And I'm holding mine. I'm going, hey, do, do I need to? Oh, he doesn't need them, apparently. He just dropped uh -huh. them on the floor. <laughs> okay, what's going on? Okay, and I've got little retorts, like little, oh, yeah, oh, such a fuck yourself. And he's got these speeches. And right. I'm like, all right. All right, Mr. G, blah, blah, blah. And he just looks up at me, and he's, like, holding tears in his eyes. And he just fucking just starts fucking he got me against the ropes out the gate. And I'm like, ah, uh, I just, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to break in. Let me put this gun down. I just want to sit back and watch this motherfucker go to town. Like, he was just smoking me. And so we did the scene because I was asking about spontaneity. 
I was like, like, I said, uh, you just dropped your sides and stuff. I said, yeah, man, I know what I'm doing. I said, oh, I, I like to play around a little. Oh, spontaneity, huh? I was like, yeah, like, don't you want to, like, be a little loose? And so like, nope. I'm like, well, so you, like, already figured out a couple ways to do it? I said, yeah. I said, you figured out all, 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 all the way. So there's no room for spontaneity, what you're telling me. He goes, mm-hmm. I was like, that's, that's, that, that's a lot of studying. And he just looked yeah. at me, he was like, and I was like, I went home, I took my bong, I cleaned it, I bought flowers. <laughs> I said, you are a vase for the next three months. And I got my weed, my whole ounce, I had a zone left over that my other uh, Puerto Rican friends that would come up from New York for pilot season ended up smoking all. Um, so when it was over, I had like just a tiny couple nugs, but I turned it into a vase and I, because it was a beautiful bong and I stopped smoking. So I was like, I just, that's what Kevin you got to do. Like, that's what you, I just, I just yeah. wanted the man's respect. I wanted to be right. as, I, I couldn't imagine ever being as good as Samuel L, but I, I just the, the, just the process of trying is going to make you better. Um, cleaning up your habits, cleaning up your process or elevating your process. Times have changed. You, you know what I mean? Times have changed in acting styles and all these other things. So yeah, that was a huge lesson. So now, um, yeah, my studies take me to deeper research places, and I learn a lot from the characters I play. Well, me and Trey were I want to do some in, inside baseball stuff because I, I, I just I want to. Like you're talking about elevating your process, or whatever. Can you just uh, elaborate a little bit on what that means? Like, what is your process now generally? Um, I find some things. Uh, if it's well written, you're going to identify with that character right away. Um, I've got friends from all walks of life, and and I think that's that's the sweet spot of living. You know, because you get the experience. I love to study different characters of different cultures, and I steal from wherever I can. But um, it, it, it's a different – there's so many different ways. Uh, getting off book, um, and while I'm getting off book, meaning memorizing my dialogue, yeah. I'll play it all kinds of different ways, right and wrong. Um, and the right and wrong is not necessarily because I want to do the wrong. It's, it's I want to stay free in what I'm learning because if you learn – Oh, I think it should be acted like this. If you memorize the dialogue with the way that you're going to act it, you will be indirectable. So when a yeah. director says, hey, you're doing it like this, it's like, well, you memorize the line with emotion. They're, it's like a tattoo. They're together. Uh -huh. But if I'm just exercising and maxing out, working out, reps or no reps or all this other stuff, it makes it flexible and easy. And then from there, I go into research, like where's this character from, well, what's affected him. And then I find real people on YouTube and I find that, and then I go delve, I delve deeper into whether I need to go into a, a doctor website or psychology or I get real deep into the mindsets. I like that. If you're not playing a real person, you know, and you're just reading what's on the page, it's a fictitious person. Are you like creating a lot of that in your mind? Cause I know a lot of actors do. They're like, all right, well, I'm playing this guy and it's not written here, but I'm going to, in my brain, you know, he got beat as a kid and, you know, he had polio and that's why he walks like this and shit. How much are you doing on that? A lot, a lot. Yeah. Well, you can reverse engineer. You uh -huh. can reverse engineer and you don't even have to say he's got this. It's kind of obvious that he probably does. Like it right. should be that obvious. Mm, and that's fun. Um, I, Do you still have to uh, like tape and submit yourself and stuff? Because me and Corey, one of our best friends is W. Earl Brown, another character actor. We love Earl. He's a good, good buddy of ours. And so I know when I have auditions, he'll help me with them. I'll go there and tape stuff with him. But I've done that for him, too. I've like read for him when he tapes stuff. So I know he's like still constantly 
submitting stuff. So I'm wondering if that's the case for you. And then also, if so, like if you have any general advice for auditions or auditioning, oh, oh, because oh. I'm, because buddy, I've, I've got two, I've had two today. Uh, they're like the bane of my existence. I drive myself crazy uh, in them. So same, same. So yeah. I've already talked about how much I like to research and go into <laughs> the running of dialogue. You got to run that dialogue. So it's like, muscle memory on, on fucking sweet child of mine like do you not think think yeah. i know i could talk to you while i'm playing that's how well you got to know it takes a lot of fucking work mm -hmm. so i had this wonderful uh, sam ishmael who created this amazing show yeah. based off of fritz lang's um metropolis which if you uh -huh. watch today he talks about the full robot end of the world ai coming up in 19 or, or uh, 2027 which is it, right it's about that like mr robot right yeah and, yeah, and right, the Mr. writing this and the and the show got canceled and shut down okay. it was supposed to shoot in australia but it was a self-tape um yeah. it was so well written i was like holy fucking the words were just flying off the page so i'm like look my friends one i won't tell you to watch a film that that i'm in that sucks like don't i don't need don't i don't need the one penny i get from or whatever the fuck it is and i don't want to make you sit to a shitty film two um i'm not going to make you do a scene like for that Mr. Rope or for the um the Sam Ishmael show, uh there's three scenes, so it's ten pages. And um I'm not gonna make my friend sit here and do hundred and fifty takes with me. Cause I, I mm. did an upwards anywhere from like probably uh, honestly probably like hundred and sixty takes between the three. So what I did was I had a dear homie of mine named Art Shudabala who was in the Stone Age with me, where I played Tack. Um and he recorded the dialogue for me, he sent it to me, and then on this iPad, so I cut out the air, I put it on a timeline, yeah. I put I, I I put my iPad under the table and I set it sideways so my big toe can hit the space bar. So I can time <laughs> it when he talks to me or not. Okay. And he gave me two versions. So now you're a one man band because you got to set right. record on the fucking thing and then you got to uh, I got to time it, make sure it's right. Because if you put it this way, your big toe is going to hit all kinds of other shit. You're going to race stuff. You're going to be so mad. Yeah, that's what normally so, happens to me. My big toe goes crazy on the recording thing. So I'm glad you're, I'm glad you're telling me this. I always fuck it up with the big toe. Yeah. Thank now, you, Clifton. You, you, if you move the space bar like that, it's easier with the big toe versus like that. And you're like, cow, 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 cow. <laughs> so so that's so if you can get your homie to do give you a delivery that you're happy with put it on a timeline and then that way you can cue him if you want a pause i think what's important to know the dialogue so well that you're not thinking about the line you're thinking about what that person said to you and what i love is i always tell actors that i coach especially youngsters that are dedicated because i don't i don't charge them anything i just want your real passion um to like Okay, you know your lines, you know how to say them. What are you thinking when you're not speaking? Mm -hmm. Like what's going on in your head? Like there should be some 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 life behind the right. eyes. Right. Like, you could speak volumes. Just because it's not written that you're you're thinking this or not thinking that doesn't you just add that shit. You shouldn't be you know, waiting people, to respond. Right. Well that too. You know, unless you're thinking of something. If, right. if I'm waiting, if you just said something to me and I go, I mean, there's so many levels there. And I of course. Word. I just meant, I think when I, was first, when I was first starting, like, doing auditions and stuff, like, I wasn't reacting. I was just, like, say my line. And then when they were reading, I was just sitting there, like, 
and now they're done. So I say my second line. You know what I'm saying? I wasn't reacting at all. What's up, everyone? It's Reality Steve, your number one source for all things Bachelor Nation and reality TV. Every day, I'm giving you the -the behind-the-scenes juice and your info on all your Bachelor Nation stories and also interviewing some of your favorite reality stars. My name has been synonymous with spoilers, but I'm so much more than that. Give me a listen. The Reality Steve Podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen. So speaking to that, my grandfather, because he was vaudevillian and he couldn't read, he still had to audition. So, oh no, I think uh, we uh, froze for just a second. You guys got me. Can you, can you guys see me? I'm cool. I can see you guys. We good? Yeah. So, uh, can you hear me? Yeah, I got you now, buddy. Okay, cool. So, so grandpa, you, when he had audition, yeah, can you hear me? Because, yeah, yeah. So because he couldn't read, uh, I um, lost him. he had to okay, memorize be all the dialogue, uh, and specifically his cues. As a vaudevillian, that his cues him. were like him getting him on stage. So he would have to pretend to read on the sides, pretend and listen for the cue, and then he would act. There he is. So he was double acting the whole time. He was pretending to read because he couldn't read, and then when he heard his cue, he would sit there and deliver the line. And that's how he got his gigs. His acting gigs, which which is speaking to what you were saying about um, just waiting to respond. Did you guys get that? Yeah. Um, let me. Am I here? Uh oh. Oh, looks like you. Oh, okay. oh, gotcha. Um, hmm. How's that? Am I back? Hmm. How do I? Let me try low data mode real quick and see if that works. Okay. Cause I keep I hit my camera on and off. Forty-four twenty-five. Yo, Clifton, can you hear me, buddy? Sure can. Yep. I can hear you for the record. Okay. I can hear you. I can hear both of you. <sighs> but you can't see He's, me. You know, I see him. I don't see him. I see a place for him on my. Yeah, right. Me too. Hearing, but I don't. I don't hear nothing though. You don't hear Clifton, me. If you can hear us, we yeah, can't try hear you. Maybe you're back. I can okay. totally hear you. I don't know. Mm. Oh, uh, uh, um, hold on. Check that. Oops, that, um, hang tight. All right, I'm going Well, this is smashing so far. I... Or you said you texted him, right? Is he responding yeah, he just, to that? Yeah, he just said, hang tight. Okay. It, su- it sucks so bad that, like, for me and you, Riverside works, but when we have guests, it don't. I feel like 
next well, there time was a we period have... of time where it also was fucking up when it was just brand right. new for a while, but it's been better lately for some reason. But yeah, anytime yeah. we have a guest though, it goes to shit. I think next time we have guests, we should just do a different. We should just be on a different thing. Use restream or something. Yeah, use restream because like, or hell, you know, I mean, even Zoom. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, you can just do Zoom. There, there we go, is. baby. All right. As you were saying, as I was saying, uh, speaking to uh, responding to an audition, responding to somebody reading lines to you, because my grandfather couldn't read, and back in the day, they one of the rules that people would say always keep your sides in your hands when you had the face-to-face -face auditions. So even the trick mm -hmm. was to get off book, and I'd always get off book and pretend like I wasn't. Like, all right, I think I'm gonna do. I, I got it. I think, and I would kind of just and just slam it. So I'd set the bar low. Get them thinking and knock it out the park. But yeah. Grandpa, because he couldn't read, he had to memorize his cues. So he would he would be acting, pretending to read. As he had, you ready to go? Yeah, let's go. My grandpa like, oh, he's listening, da da da, and he'd hear the cue, and then he'd be like, da 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 da, and he'd be pretending to read because he couldn't read. So he had to act twice just to get a gig. That's yeah. crazy. And so is that the reason that you want to pretend to read? Is is this similar to like? Is that so the other person doesn't think you're fucking around like they know that they have the confidence? Because that, that's what waiters do sometimes at restaurants. Like, Trey, you said you used to do that, right? Like, you'd pretend you were writing it down, but you weren't really doing it. Sometimes, because I would, because I, people have differing opinions about this. Like, Clifton, once Drew was with us, we we're all on the road, and we about got into a fight in a diner in Denver because we had a big group of people, and the, the server she didn't write nothing. There was like eight of us or something. I don't like it. And she, she didn't write nothing down. And I was like, when she left, I was like, yeah, I don't care for that. Cause I was a server when I was in college, I was a server for like five years. And I was like, I just don't see no upside to doing that because you'll have people sitting there like me and Corey were thinking like, she going to fuck this up. She ain't writing this down. <laughs> Even if you don't, there's no reason to make people think that. And I think they think people are going to be impressed if you don't fuck it up, like, wow, they didn't even write anything down and find that impressive. But I don't think most people have that reaction. I think most people are just sitting there like, you're, you're not going to, you're not going to write any of this down. You're sure what it, you know. And so now and, if the person in the kitchen is the one that fucks it up, we still think it's you. We still think it's you. So anyway, when I was a server, I used to, especially if there's just two or three people and it's a simple order, I wouldn't need to write it down, but I would fake writing it down every time <laughs> because I knew that that made people uneasy if they knew you weren't doing that, you know, but anyway, I mean, I don't even remember now how we got started talking about that, but yeah, the, the off book thing, like I've told Corey and other friends of mine before, like if just getting off book, if that was the most important defining characteristic of what makes a great actor or whatever, then I'd be fucking Robert De Niro. Cause I yeah. get off book, like nobody's there's, business. Like I, I live get off book. book there's, real a, there's a danger. But everybody, <laughs> There's a danger of, of getting off you know? having the skill set to be able to get off book quickly. There's a danger because what happens is, is when you get off book, you don't, it's hard. I have to work really hard to get off book. So what happens is, so I don't get bored with studying. I explore different emotions, but if you can get off book real quick, uh -huh. you only had a chance to explore a little bit. So there's not, there's not going to be a whole lot of depth. Now you have to be committed to really exploring. Now, the, in regards to being off book and performing, this was um, – I was talking to Ellen Pompeo about this. I dropped something again. The um, <laughs> A name? Ellen Pompeo? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> I dropped something. 
we were we were talking about this thing and um we were like like yeah I always keep the sides in my hand I like I like to get off book and pretend so what what it was the idea behind it was well if you're off book I'm ready to perform and you sit there you're gonna do the right. thing they think that's the best you can do now if if you okay. put in a shit ton of work if you know that ball is gonna sail over the fucking the baseball fences into the parking lot with the dude selling the pirated T-shirts. Go ahead and drop those sides. I, <laughs> right. I did that for Tigerland. I did that for Tigerland when I got that Southern boy. Yeah. I literally dropped the sides. And I also dropped my script okay. while everybody was studying, including like Eric Dane was there. Balt Getty was there. David Arquette was there. I remember the room vividly. Um, I came dressed in military garb. And I, I stopped smoking weed for two weeks. It was that giant breakdown monologue with Colin Farrell and the, and the talking about, well, you just old bull yeah. being pulled by the ring. I'm a, I'm a butcher. I'm a butcher, boss. That's what I do. I cut meats what I do. You know that whole scene there? Um, uh, I remember – and this was just a psych-out thing. I remember going in – and everybody's like studying on the floor and the seats and being all nervous because it's Joel Schumacher in a big Vietnam film. And I just remember going in with my screenplay and just – I knew how to drop it so it would land flat. So I remember just going, you hear it, smack. And everybody else is flipping. I'm just like, smack. And I go, <sighs> and I know that just scared everybody. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And everybody's like, oh, shit, like just trying to get the last minute. I, I didn't need none of that. I, I knew I was going to. And Joel, I remember I remember crying when I got the call because my agents and managers like, Clifton, you're – I had this kind of very femme agent, like, Clifton, you're just not going to play Southern for Joel Schumacher. It's not going to happen. And then they were my manager and, and him were ganging up on me. I felt like, like, well, maybe I should just go in that Mexican box and call it a day. Like, I'm a character actor. I play all kinds yeah. of motherfuckers. And, and I was like, you know what? Fuck these guys. Uh, uh, Sam Jackson had told me about this role in Runaway Train, I think it was, or – and, and Schumacher was going to do it, he, and it was a three-day role, little role. If I could do a Southern role for him, I could be a bona fide character actor bigger than just a Mexican actor. He dropped out. I think Barry Sonnenfeld did it. They got Cliff Curtis, who's a Maori and looks more Mexican than me, to play the fucking redneck. I'm like, how did that happen? I couldn't even get a shot. So Mally Finn, rest in peace, who, had her, uh, who she just discovered so many amazing actors – um, I go in there. Um, I remember getting the phone call. She knew I was half in character because I came in a little sketched without being disrespectful. Don't ever be disrespectful. There's a way to, to be a little bit in character and a little bit out. You don't get a second chance for first impression, so it's best if you have an accent. Walk in kind of halfway in that accent. You know, not fully, just to have it. You can turn uh -huh. it up, but don't don't go from, like, normal talking, whatever that is that day because my accent changes per character. Um and I just remember I got the phone call, and Joe was like, you guys, I can count the top auditions of my entire career on one hand. And Clifton Gonzalez Gonzalez Collins Jr. is one of them. <laughs> and I just remember, like, tears falling <laughs> down because I almost gave up. I almost said, fuck going after this role. Right. My manager, an gay agent, is telling me I shouldn't do this, and I'm never going to do it, and I can't do it. I almost said, you know, and the fact that I stuck by my guns and I got a new manager at the time and a new agent, it just it was a defining moment for me personally as an artist. That's awesome. No. Well, because and, this is because this is putting on airs and we'd be putting on airs and we'd be talking about fancy, fancy. stuff. You've been in the business, very fancy things. You've been in the business for a long time. 
So this is sort of a, a two-part question a little bit, one from me and kind of one from Trey. Uh, so since you've been in the business for a long time, what was your first like holy shit moment in Hollywood? And by that, I mean like something that made you be like, oh my God, like this, this is Hollywood. And also second part to that, how has Hollywood changed from like when you first started to now? Um, hmm. So just addressing that, that first question, it's really, are you in it for the glory or the fame? You know what I mean? You can get involved with those projects that yeah. are not really artistic, like the big money movies. And as you can tell by my resume, I haven't done too many of those. So I, I've, uh, I, I love to work with real artists. I love to work with real collaborators. That's right. my favorite. Like, I, I feel like I'm part of a community. If you're just some actor coming in and they're just throwing gobs of money at you, that's not really my jam. Like I, it, the decadence of it is is discouraging to me. Um, I've been in a couple of situations where I was like, this might be the the preconceived notion of what people think Hollywood, like the Roaring Twenties with Fatty Arbuckle with cocaine right. everywhere and all that shit. That's that's yeah. what I mean. Okay, yeah. I yeah. had yeah. one, yeah. one. Yeah, like if you ever, if you walked into a room and and uh, yeah, there was just like a line of cocaine that you had to do before you could go to the I, bathroom. I, I had one situation, um, and and all my history, and there was a new actor with me, and I had let him know, just so you know, buddy, this is not how every movie is. I've been doing this at the time twenty years. <laughs> this is my first experience on this one, and I'd know when other people were of that ilk. Like I don't want to party in the cocaine room. That's not my jam. I'd like to smoke a joint get creative right um but I, I did have a situation where I, I had a moment um where uh i was in a a, a legal in a, another country a jacuzzi with a director who i won't mention and um who i adore and uh he, we were getting a little tooted out because I, I felt like i had to a little bit and um of course you know, and it's not my jam so so it was kind of <laughs> weird um these two prostitutes want to take me upstairs they're like oh he's already uh -huh. paid for it. let's go upstairs like, like no i want to talk like i want to talk shop in a jacuzzi with like eight naked chicks the director and this actor who's his first gig was like <laughs> oh my and he's married so he's not cheating at all he's like like please save me save me it's getting fucking late he's like oh he's bragging to these chicks uh oh, this actor he's like my robert de Niro. Uh, the movie we're doing is like seven and blah, blah, blah. And you should see him in this movie and see him in this. I'm like, I don't, you don't got to blow me up. These are hookers. They don't care what the fuck I've been in. Like, you already paid for it. They don't give a shit. You know, I, I could be on Hannah Montana. They wouldn't care. So, which didn't exist at the time. Um, and then, it, and at one point I was like, okay, I'm over this rip, repeat, the merry-go-round of conversations. I was like, I said, look, dude. The movie we're doing, I'm not fucking Robert De Niro, okay? And the movie we're doing is not like seven. It's more like three and a half at best. I said, and it's fucking 4 a.m. I need to get the fuck out of here. And, and then he goes, no, you're not leaving. You're not leaving. And, he's, and he goes to his assistant who's got a ginormous silver tray of cocaine. I've never seen this before in my life except in the movies. And this one time. He was like, do not give him his pants. I says, I will, I will walk down this alley in my glorious naked beauty, and I will beat the fuck out of that assistant. I'm taking my pants. <laughs> and then the poor, and the poor other actors like looked at me like, like, please don't leave me, Clifton. My wife, my wife, please don't leave me. I said, I said, come on, buddy, let's yeah. come with me. And he's like, we're both going. I said, I'll see you tomorrow. I love you. I told him I loved him, and I left him in the jacuzzi. I mean, he was single too. Like we were both single. But I just, I, I, I haven't really been with prostitutes, man. Like I, I tell a couple jokes and, and if I get along with the chick, 
Seems like it would have been a good night to start. I mean, you know, I don't know. know. It just seems so shallow. I hate to seem like I really mean that when I say that. Like, like I, I need to no, connect. I hear you. you know, yeah. you guys have brilliant minds. Your satires are such a high tier. When you talk to people on the lower tiers. Yeah, but I do cope with a whore. You know what I mean? <laughs> I'm not judging. I'm not just not my damn. <laughs> yeah. Now I'm happily married now. I'm just saying. No, some I Some people you. like wraps. Some people I like burritos. You. <laughs> you know what I mean? But, but no, man, like you were saying earlier, like you really want to work with people, you know, that you can collaborate with, with artists. I mean, dude, like just, just to name a few, notable to my taste, particularly like, Philip mm, Seymour Hoffman, yeah. you know, Gilmore Del Toro, you work with Quentin Tarantino and Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, like working with these big names and like, especially, you know, Philip Seymour Hoffman, rest in peace. Like when you're on these particular projects and I know you're, you're an actor, you've been doing it for a long time. So at a certain point, it's like, look, you know, cause I'm a comedian. I've done a million shows at a certain point. It is just clocking in. But when you're doing these projects, is there a certain sense of like, we're really doing some shit here? You there know is. what I mean? There, but 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 yeah. you got to be on that tier of and a lot of times there's not a lot of money, uh, uh, but but when you find out right. like I'm I'm about I'm gonna lose a good chunk of change. We we, we by the grace of God uh, I'm so grateful for my production staff here on this uh, this project called The Last Frontier that I'm doing with Knoxville and Jason Clark, um, and a couple other reputable um, actors. Um, they they made it happen, and I'll, I'll finally be getting down with um, Joaquin Phoenix for the first time. And um, you dropped yeah, something. Well, and, well Ari, Ari Aster is the director who. who yeah, so, oh, like, so that was that was. Yeah, we talked about this last night when I was cooking dinner, but I didn't know if you could bring it up, so I wasn't going to ask. I, yeah, I just closed. We've been we've been like on pins and needles, about to lose it for two and a half weeks. It was like we were all jumping in, squabbing together. I was having to send texts and emails to the producers, my managers. It was just. We were FaceTiming while his agent was calling him about this. I've never felt more Hollywood in my life. I was sitting there making some spaghetti. I was like, oh, shit, I'm on the ground floor. You really were. You really were the first to know. I told my mom this morning (laughs) and my sister. (laughs) I I, I told you first and I told Slash. I got to tell Samuel. I'm Sam. I'm (laughs) waiting to hear Uh, Sam Jackson. That's so awesome. last time I got to spend time with Joaquin Phoenix was when I was uh, spending time with, with Heath Ledger and um, Philip Seymour. So it's a very uh, it's a, a bittersweet moment because uh, Heath was really a dear friend and, and looked out for me. He, he, he protected me the one time where I almost got in trouble with the paparazzi. I remember the paparazzi. Uh-huh. Tell them what you did. We were at this club called Las Palmas, and we were outside, and this one paparazzi – and I'm good with the paps. Like, they, they've taken care of me. Like, like the few, the rare occasion when I was too drunk to drive, they'd be like, hey, there's cops around here. The management likes to call the cops when they know celebrities or actors are leaving. I said, hey, we'll, we'll drive you home and park your car and whoop-de-whoop. I said, bet. Gave them my keys. <laughs> they drove my ass home, gave it, locked it up, gave me my keys back. So – Anytime I see these paps, I always whatever they need. Anytime I take care of them, because I know they're always looking out for me. Um, but this one particular guy was known to be a little crazy, so he wanted to pick. So me and Heath, and if you knew Heath, you called him Cliff because his real name was Heath Cliff. So like his family called him Cliff. Ah. So uh, we were sitting there taking some photos, and then by then, you know, Heath was like, hey, "That's enough." I said, "All right." And then he started clicking more and more and more and more and starting to get aggressive. I said, "Yo, man, won't you slow your roll a little bit, pump the brakes?" And he started to get really crazy. And I, I had a little bit of the fire water in me, 
So uh, I, I like I, I took I cut, cut myself loose. I took myself off the chain. I'm gonna go out in the street and chase the cars. And I just fucking I'm sure those photos were out there somewhere. But I, I went for him because he was being aggressive. I went for him. And next thing you know, I feel like the back of my neck getting grabbed, and he threw me in the back of his beamer, and then we just spun off. It was the only negative situation I ever had paparazzi, but um, he was beloved, and I was uh, supposed to see him. I was shooting Brothers, the John Sheridan, Jim Sheridan film with um, Jake Gyllenhaal and Tobey Maguire and Sam Shepard, rest in peace, um, when I remember they were getting ready to do my close-up when Toby was like, oh, my God. He goes, he just died on his Blackberry. And, I was, and I'm like trying to stay focused because we're going to do my close-up. It was a heavy scene. And I was like, huh? And he goes, oh, my God, geez, Heath just died. I'm like, I couldn't imagine who. I'm supposed to meet Heath for reshoots right. on Batman. And I got to do – and I have to do reshoots on The Horseman with Jonas Ackerman. So we're going to meet up in Chicago. And um, and then I said, I said, Heath who? He's like, Heath Ledger. Because Toby didn't really know – Toby didn't know Heath. And when I right. was like, what the fuck? I said, shut the fuck up, man. I said, no. He goes, no, really? I'm serious. And I was like, I just remember looking out at the trees, looking at the floor, and I was like, I'm sorry, Jim. Can we shit? We got to go. I don't mean to be an asshole. We have to go now. We got to go now. I was about to lose my shit. And we did three takes, knocked it out the park. I said, can I go? Is the gate clear? And they're like, yeah. I just remember running to my trailer so I could just break down. I broke down for like two hours. Yeah. And I remember uh, getting a knock at my door, and it was Natalie Portman who just, just came in. She just hugged me, just held on to me. I just Stop. So, so working with Joaquin is going to be a beautiful, like closure, so to speak. And I'm friends with some of his family, Rain. Yeah. And it was a sad day when River passed. I remember being traumatized about that. So it's it's going to be special. And it's a different level. And I'm going to lose some money because I got to. They got to move some days here. So I I made some agreements and I coughed up some shit. I said, hey, take this, take that. I don't need this check. Why don't you keep that? So there's some things that were done. I'm happy to do it. Because of the people I'm right. working with. Right, because it's just one of those projects where you're like, well, you know, it's artistically, it's going to be very fulfilling. So I'm totally fine to, yeah. you know. They're not gonna, yeah, I'm not totally going to cut my that. lights off. I got enough saved up, you know. I'm not going to break like even. I'll, I'll make a little bit, but it's not like. Yeah, you still got you still got prison ramen money, I believe. You know, I, correct? I, not really. I mean, I do have royalties. <laughs> well, I, I just I still see oh, it yeah. pop up all the time. Trey, you know about his book, Prison Ramen? I'm aware of it. Yes, I have not read tell it. Him the, tell I him should. the fun fact that you told me last night. This is fucking uh, great. <laughs> prison ramen. There you go. So it, it uh before Christmas, about a month or two before Christmas, it hit this. Uh, I was getting all these Google alerts. Like, what the fuck's going on? The AP news and this news and that, like Reuters and these high-end news outlets, Prison Wrong became the number one banned book in prison. And I was like, above Sun Tzu's Art of War, above the 48 Laws, like above all the real legitimate critical thinkers, you're going to put our book? Who's the brain trust that said, oh, my God, stop them. Don't let them get the prison ramen. Yeah, Art of War is okay. Uh, 48 Laws, that's good. Uh, uh. As a man thinking, okay, but not prison run. <laughs> so I don't know if this is a racist thing because Sam Jackson did the forward or the, you know, I know a lot about the penal system, you know, so who really knows? Um, yeah, but I was like, did I, did I hire my publicist to, to do this? I don't think I'm paying her right now. 
this is the best press you can get. <laughs> We've already got contracts. Yeah, right. Yeah. Oh, cell phones, the whole nine. So, and I donate 20% of the proceeds to um, Father Greg at Homeboy Industries, who works with at-risk gangies. Nice. Yeah, they got a, a 70% um, success rate, whereas in the American system, has a 70% recidivism rate. <laughs> recidivism, yeah. So yeah. Father G right. is a, a true saint. When you meet him and the counselor's there, uh, you can walk in there. And if you're having a bad day, somehow one of the counselors or Father G himself will just say something. Like like it's as though you spoke to him before you walked in, but you didn't. Like he's, he's, a, he's magical, truly. I can't say enough things. I know um, Jim Carrey. Uh, paid for a, paid twenty million for a building for the homies to learn how to transcendental meditate. Um, that's summer. Uh-huh. That's very. Yeah, but also, dear, but yeah, to hear the homies yeah. talk about say, hey, did you go there? Because I love transcendental meditation. Yo, bro, when I'm talking, you're in your brain, you're floating, and all this stuff, and all the god worries are gone, homie. I'm like, oh snap, you did get there. You did get there. That's, that's awesome. <laughs> it's beautiful. That should be a short film or something, at least, yeah. you know, that, that, that concept there's, there's right there. Uh, you guys got it. If you guys, but you live, uh, uh, Trey, you live in Studio I've, City, don't you? I lived in Burbank. Burbank. Right, right. Yeah. Um, yeah, you're close yeah. to there. You're not far from me. I'm in Studio City. Oh, yeah. Well, dude, we I would should love get to. together sometime. I would love to. to. I would All absolutely right. love to. Uh, That'd be great. On that note, I think Corey. I don't know if you had. Yeah, we we kept you long enough. Taken enough. Taken enough. I think. I think we just need to make sure that there's a part two to this. That's what we need to do because I've got a lot more stuff. Yeah, I got a lot more stuff I want to ask you, but we'll be here for two hours. Uh, So, anything you want to plug on the way out? Anything aside from all the stuff you've already talked about? Um, I'm pretty stoked, man. I'm. I'm just. uh, It's just dope to find sit down with y'all. I. I think. uh, Yeah, part two. I think we'll clear that up. (laughs) And who knows who. Who knows what the fans are going to say too? And I'm going to um, I'm going to text y'all. You got the radio piece, and I'm going to text y'all some of those photos. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I'm going to send you some original clips of uh, some of the Western Union letters that I got, and you guys can rifle through them. Well, hang on with us. Hang on with us here while that damn file uploads. The Airheads. Hope you enjoyed it. That's Clifton Collins Jr. Everybody. This here episode is sponsored by Blue Chew. Let's talk about sex, baby. Buzz. Guys, remember the days when you were always ready to go? Remember what that was like? That hit, didn't it? Well, we all get older. It's okay, though. Now you can increase your performance and get back, get that extra confidence back in the bedroom. It can be yours. Listen up. BlueChew.com. BlueChew is a unique online service that delivers the same active ingredients as Viagra, Cialis, and Levitra, but in chewable tablets and at a fraction of the cost. You can take them anytime, day or night, so you can plan ahead to get down or just be ready to get down whenever an opportunity comes up. The process is simple. Sign up at BlueChew.com. Consult with one of their licensed medical providers, and once you're approved, you'll receive your prescription within days. That's the best part of it all. It's done on the Internet there, totally online. So no more visits to the doctor's office, no more awkward wiener conversations, no waiting in line at the pharmacy, bumping into your old English teacher. None of that, because Blue Chew's tablets are made right here in the U.S. of A., prepared and shipped direct to your door in a very discreet package. Cho, tell them about it. Oh, my God, it makes my dick harder than put down a bag of potato chips. I'm telling you right now, I love it. And that's my favorite part, that discreet package thing, because as I've told y'all, I happen to know my pharmacist, and I don't think that she has any right to know about what goes on between me and my wiener. That is personal business, but I love it. My wife loves it. Whenever we get that little uh, white envelope, she knows that it's time to get down baby and here's the thing i'm sure there's a lot of you going like well ain't nothing wrong with mine well there ain't nothing wrong with mine either but every now and then you just want an extra boost you know what i'm saying first impressions are important 
and lasting impressions are just as important. Now I'm saying Blue Chew wants to help you have better sex. Discover your options at BlueChew.com. Chew it and do it. We got a special deal for our listeners. Try Blue Chew for free when you use our promo code POA at checkout. Just pay $5 shipping. That's BlueChew.com. Promo code POA to receive your first month for free. Visit BlueChew.com for more details and important safety information. And we thank BlueChew for sponsoring the podcast. Skew. <clears throat> well, how fun was that, Cho? That was a Man, I had a old blast. time, wasn't it? Yeah, hey, I don't. I've got. Like I do have. Team, I am but... looking forward to part two because I, I have many more questions I want to ask him. Uh, I've also got some not to tease the fans with, but uh, once I get his number, if I get go out for a drink or something with him or something like that, I've got some that I'm also going to ask him off mic too. Things that yeah. I think that uh, he might. He might give me the real lowdown on, but yeah. not not if we're broadcasting it to Airhead Nation. So I got some things in mind that I definitely want to pick his brain about. But enough of that. What a lovely gentleman. Lovely gentleman. Well, I've got some airmail, Trey, if you uh, do don't mind. Subject line. Hey, Ch- hey Cho, read my fucking email. Emu War mm-hmm. suggesting uh, Aussie fan again. Oh, all right. Well, let's do this. Good day, mate. I listened to the go. live for the hundredth today. Gave me a good laugh at work, so thanks. I know nice. you, Pad, love the NFL and college football. You know the padded up pussies that wear the helmets. Well, <laughs> well, on the first, <laughs> I can't do this the whole time. Well, on the first weekend of March, the Australian Rugby League, not Union, are having their season opening games in Vegas. I would love for you two blokes to have a look and maybe throw a few comments on POA and give us your thoughts. I also know uh, you like to see some strange animals, so I attached a few numbat photos. It's a small marsupial with their last wild populations found in Western Australia. We run a small group that is dedicated to ensuring their survival once found across most of Southern Australia. The total population now stands at just a couple thousand individuals. I reckon you blokes could call these Aussie squirrels. And these do do feel love, unlike your rodents. Uh, Get a dead dingo's donger into you. Cheers, Rob. Uh, here's the here's the little guy right here. Took a turn at the end. As soon as he was talking about these goddamn numbats or whatever, I was like, I was like, I know squirrels is gonna come up. It yeah. sounds like Aussie squirrels. I don't want to fucking hear it, but yeah, oh, that's nice, mate. Thanks for the, thanks for the rodent pictures, rodentia. Yeah. What uh, are they, so uh, oh yeah, the, you know their rugby stuff. You know, you know how you said rugby league, not union. union there's like, yeah. there's like regular rugby down there there's union rugby there's australian league australian rules football i think all those things are different things too and really i think or at least like marginally different 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 rules and i think so yeah pretty sure and they who knows i've tried to get every every year or every time it's the world cup i try to get into soccer and like i end up not being able to kind of but rugby i feel like that's close enough to football that maybe i can like i've seen i've seen you don't think so i've tried i've tried before because there was a you know amazon all or nothing where they it's like a in season with the arizona cardinals or you know that that show it's like hard knocks but during the season before they ever did they have that's not just an nfl thing if you if you're not aware they've done that with premier league teams before and i think i'm pretty sure the first season of that show ever was with the new zealand all blacks the best rugby team in the world. And I watched that docu-series and the docu-series was fucking rad as hell. Like it right. made it, it was super fucking cool. And I was like, I'm gonna get into this shit. 
And so much like with soccer after every World Cup, I then tried and yeah. it just didn't it just didn't stick. Well, I, I got all, I got all go. respect in the world for fucking rugby players. Don't get me wrong. Probably some bad motherfuckers, but I just couldn't stick with it for some reason. Well, well I'm gonna give it a go for our Aussie fan here. Uh Subject line, 100th episode and squirrels. Uh, I've listened to every episode and am familiar with the squirrel debate. I wasn't able to listen to the 100th episode live, so I listened to it in the car this morning. As I'm traveling down a narrow country road in South Carolina on my way to judge a barbecue competition, y'all are just beginning the debate again, and a squirrel runs out in front of me committing suicide. As I look in the rearview mirror, it's tumbling down the road. The timing couldn't have been more appropriate. For the record, I didn't see a squirrel family run out of the woods to retrieve the body or chase me down. Is this proof that squirrels aren't sentient? Who knows? I tend to agree with Trey, but they're definitely suicidal. Al Parker. Yeah, what you probably missed was another squirrel run out of the woods and defile that squirrel's corpse uh, within (laughs) five minutes of it laying there dead that would be my assumption but anyway go right ahead. all right one last one uh subject line wtf is a fancy new england accent dear trey and Corey, senior new england correspondent <laughs> travis reporting for duty on the vexing question from the putting on airs 100th live episode what in the hell is a fancy new england accent my right. guess is your viewer was referring to what's known as a Boston Brahmin accent associated with the fancy fellers that made up the moneyed aristocracy in New England in the mid-Atlantic region during the 19th century. These are the uber-wealthy one-percenters who directly descended from the earliest and, as a result, wealthiest English settlers who came to America. Prominent examples of this accent in popular culture would be Charles Emerson Winchester III from MASH, Fraser Crane from Cheers, that makes fucking sense, Mr. Feeney from Boy Meets World, and Thurston Howell III from Gilligan's Island. The easiest way to think of it is if crude working-class Cockney accents were progenitors God, Jesus, Corey, of today's working class Southie accent. Then the Brahmin can trace its way back to the posh British accent spoken the likes of Prince Charles. Hope this helps. Now let's hear those impressions. Love y'all like chicken. Travis. All right. Fraser Crane. That makes sense. I don't know why we didn't think of that. You just got launched into a Fraser. I was going to say, you have to let me... uh watch now, some videos I, of mr Fain no we'll, we'll do it later <laughs> we'll yeah we'll do it later we'll do okay. it later well there is the uh airmail for this week and hey uh and there is a lot a lot of other one we had a ton of airmail that you know for time i can't get to but uh everyone's saying they love the 100th episode and that we should definitely you know at least every couple months or so entertain the thought of doing some more lives i had a blast I'm so glad that everybody enjoyed it. If you didn't get a chance to watch it live and still haven't, it's obviously up on our YouTube. If you listen to these audio only, that's watchpoa.com. We appreciate it. If you would subscribe, leave us a review, five stars and all that stuff. Trey, tell everybody where you're going to be this weekend. Promote whatever you got to promote. Tonight and tomorrow, I'm at Helium in Indianapolis, Indiana. So come and see me, please. And I got Winchester, Virginia and uh, Washington, D.C. coming up and then some other places thereafter. It's going to be fun. TryCrowder.com. See you out there. Cool. Uh, I'm on Cameo. You can book a video uh, as my any of my characters, the Buttercream Dream, Jerry Mander, whatever. Birthday shout-outs, holidays, all that stuff. I'll quit your job for you. Also, BonusCorey.com. That's my sub stack. And uh, other than that, thank you all for listening. We love you. And as always, stay fancy, motherfuckers.
Here's Lady of Loveless. One, two, three, four, one, two, three, four. Royalty and rednecks are alike. They both like cutting and picking fights. Biscuits and baked beans where they don't belong. Sit on down with Corey and Trey and learn some fancy shit today. We'll laugh a little even when they're wrong. They'll take you to a magical place where if you call someone a cut, nobody cares. They keep it debonair at putting on airs, putting on airs, putting on airs, putting on airs. NMLS number 65084, Equal Housing Lender. Woo! As an adult, don't we all miss spring break? Nothing like taking a week off from all your responsibilities. Well, here's the next best thing for adults, a spring break from house payments. SaveWithConrad.com can help you get rid of all your credit card debt just like that. We're routinely helping our listeners save five, six, seven, even 800 bucks a month. And you don't need perfect credit or money out of your pocket to do this, but check this out. No house payments for two months at savewithconrad.com. 